Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. An exciting and innovative new voice boldly and loudly announces its arrival, and that would be Nicholas Woods. The film is called Echoes of Violence, the story of an immigrant who travels from Sedona to Los Angeles to seek revenge against the immigration lawyer who ruined her life. The film has a slew of really wonderful actors in it, people that you may not have heard of, but you certainly soon will. Michaela Russell, Chase Cargill, Heston Horwin, Sam Anderson, and also people that you do know, and that would be Frank Oz. And it's it's a terrific film. It really is well done in a lot of different ways, uh, a story that takes a lot of twists and turns. And we're fortunate to have with us the director and I believe writer of the film. And that, yes, would, sir. Be, that would be Nicholas Woods. Nicholas, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. What inspired this? The project began, um, I knew I wanted to make a revenge drama that was told in five parts. I'm very in, into stories that kind of have that structure. I really love The Shining is one of my favorite films. It's kind of told in multiple parts. City of God does it really well. And that's one of my favorite films as well. So taking a lot of inspiration from those narrative structures and then sort of the deeper immigration story kind of came out of Michaela Russell, the lead actress. She's a close friend of mine. And she was going through her own immigration process coming from South Africa to here. She messaged me uh, one day and we were catching up. And I said, how's your immigration process going? She goes, well, I think it's going okay. I found my immigration lawyer, but he hasn't been getting back to me. It's been like three weeks and I'm not, I haven't heard from him. Getting a little worried. I gave him every penny I have and I, I hope this goes well. And I started getting a little nervous for and started doing some research. And upon my research, I found, you know, I'm, I'm looking up to, you know, has there ever been a problem with any immigration lawyers kind of scamming people or, or worse? Unfortunately, I did find a few stories where much worse did happen where some immigration lawyers who are now in prison took advantage uh, of their clients because of the desperation that immigrants have when they come here because they have you no know, money and no means to work. So that breeds an opportunity for bad people to do bad things. So that sort of started to flow within our, uh, our story. And we took it sort of into a, uh, luckily for her, her immigration process ended up going great, but we kind of went down the fantasy fiction route of what if it didn't go well and what are the sort of circumstances and maybe horrible circumstances that maybe could have happened. And so that's what we started to explore and that what ended up uh, inevitably becoming uh, the entire tale of Echoes of Violence. Who plays the attorney? The immigration lawyer is played by Taylor Flowers, an actor who I met on my first film, a horror film called The Axiom. He played the good, the good guy turned, uh, uh, got demonically possessed, and he was just so incredible to work with. He was one of the first people, didn't even audition or anything. I just said, you need to play this role. You would, I think, be fantastic at this. We're going to put you in this villainous role. He really is good in this role. One of the strengths of uh, Echoes of Violence is that each character in the film has a particular arc and his isn't quite as dramatic as some of the other characters in the film. But boy, is he an easy guy to believe could get away with what he gets away with in this film. 
he's really good at the smiling face and and saying all the right things. He has a great voice. You know, he has a very mm-hmm. smooth, soothing, smooth kind of delivery. He really inhabits this role in, and he, yeah, you're right. He's terrific. You said uh, Taylor Flowers, is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Taylor Flowers. Yeah. He's really fantastic uh, at those subtle moments of, you know, sort of deception where you try to ask yourself, you know, does he really care about this girl or, you know, is there something sort of more sinister in his motives? And the, some think that they can guess kind of his motives quickly, but that's sort of the best part about this this film. And my favorite part about it is, you know, your perception, your your first take on someone's not always correct. Even right. the villain is not exactly who you think, who's not doing everything exactly for the reasons you think they might be doing it. I definitely want to come back to that point because you're absolutely right about that in terms of describing the film and some of the things you do as from a filmmaking perspective. But just to revisit the sort of the broad outlines of the story, Michaela is looking she has come from, I believe, South Africa, and she is just simply trying to get into the country and, and make her own way. And she comes, she gets involved with uh, this attorney who is corrupt, as, as you just alluded to. But it, it, there's something even darker and more sinister that has apparently happened to her. And now she is, she's marked for being being killed. I don't think I'm giving too much away here. I don't want to give no. too much away. So <laughs> yeah, she's uh yeah, I, that's the, my you fear want to is. Kill him. Yeah, yeah. We know. Yeah. I, 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 okay. We, we let people know that right off the get go. She's yeah, yeah. going after this immigration lawyer. She's going to go, you know, she, she needs to, she, her life cannot move on until she takes this guy, uh, takes him out. She yeah. can't just go move on with her life. She, he needs to be gone. From there, there's a lot of different elements. And I do love the the kind of title cards in, in the sections, the different sections of the film. That's a Tarantino-esque thing to me, by the way. Just to throw out a film reference, there's something, there's there's an element of, of some time shifting that goes on in the film. A couple of different, not a whole lot, but it's enough to kind of put you in a wondering what's next. And that's the other thing about mm-hmm. the film. You create a lot of tension through that particular device and and so if this isn't true then what else isn't true that's kind of the mindset you put us in as we're watching the film but you introduce these characters as a real estate agent who's kind of struggling he's showing a house he's a good guy but he's he's also kind of uh impatient he's he seems like he's he's kind of at his wits end in terms of what he's doing in the sort of real estate market so he's kind of a frenetic character at the beginning of the film not a particularly likable guy at the beginning of the film, but again, his character takes different twists and turns. And so I'm, I'm, I sort of jumping around here, but obviously it's this is the nature of the story. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly. You can't describe this film without kind of jumping around. In terms of writing, in terms of writing these characters, I'm curious, like what inspires you or what your intent to pull the because you put people. Throughout the film, you put them in in circumstances where they have some moral decisions, some right and wrong decisions to make, and they do surprise you. That's another thing. You surprise us throughout the film. So I'm just kind of curious sort of what sort of that part of the creative process is for you in terms of creating characters and putting them in these different circumstances. For me and my process in writing, you have your character, and I feel like the best way to get to know your character is, you know, you just need to understand what do they want and what do they need, you know, and kind of going with those things in mind, I learn about the characters as I'm writing them so much, you know, it's not, I'm not somebody who kind of 
figures every detail out beforehand. I like to discover things while I'm writing. I like to go through the process and hear these characters kind of converse in my head, but it all comes back to what do they want? And I learn about their sort of moral decisions, who they are as people based off of those exact things about what they what they want in life and what the difference is about what they you know Alex like you said you know we meet him he's a real estate agent and what does it seem like he wants he wants at least a his career to be going well kind of put simply but what is what we discover is what he needs is something much greater and so kind of going through it and knowing just particularly what the character wants and how they're going to achieve that and the things that are standing in their way as you're going through this through the story and there's so much standing in his way because you now he runs into this girl who he discovers in the desert all bloody and left for dead and now he's got to take care of her but he's got you know his real estate job is happening at the exact very moment and people are showing up to see the house and he's got this bloody girl he's trying to keep a, a secret and so we learn a lot about him and I learned a lot about him just, you know, going through those circumstances as here is what he wants and here are the roadblocks that are coming at him and really trying to make sure that the roadblocks and the things that are at least stopping him from getting what he wants are as strong as possible. And that helps keep me excited while I'm writing and hopefully will continue to, you know, keep the audience as engaged as well. I think, you know, the most important thing is exciting yourself and trying to uh, surprise yourself while you're writing, because if you can't necessarily do that, then you certainly aren't going to excite or surprise anyone else. Thank you for that answer. Did you, in writing this story, did you have an endpoint picked out already? You knew how you were, where you were going to end up, or did, no, or as I, you were describing it, as you're finding out about the, you're finding out about the characters as you, as you are inter, as they interact with one another. So that's kind of the 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 details of the story is in that. Mm-hmm. But in then in terms of the end point, I'm kind of curious, is this kind of become right. a fluid situation as to where you end up, where the or or by virtue of how the characters interact? How how much does that determine plot, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. So I try to determine at least a bit of the plot in a you know, roughly, you know, a little bit of some outlining about the first and second act, but I try to keep the third act pretty open. Let us get there, let me get there while I'm writing and let the characters get there as we're, as we're going. And I truly had no idea how it was gonna end and can keep it open for the listeners. But I, you know, she's, she's going to try yeah. and kill this immigration lawyer. And I didn't know if she's going to succeed or if she's not going to succeed. And, and fail as well. So I, uh, I left it open and wanted to, wanted to explore getting there. And it was uh, for me and this screenplay, particularly, I have other scripts where I kind of know the ending. I kind of know, okay, this is kind of feeling like this will be accomplished. This person's the thing that this character wants, they're going to get it. Or the thing this character wants, okay, in this story, they're not going to get it. On this story on Echoes of Violence, I didn't know. I really didn't. And it was part of the excitement and joy of writing it because, uh, you know, I got to continue to, again, try to explore and surprise myself as we're, as we're getting there. Thank you. Again, thank you for that answer because it's, it's an open question. 
because these kind of films can go into a very, they can go into a very dark place. They can go to a very kind of nihilistic place. They can go, there's a number of different ways to go with this kind of a film, this kind of revenge. And there's a whole bunch of bad guys doing a whole bunch of bad things. And God knows who, who's going to, at the end of the day, end up being still standing at the end of the film. Right. Right. Yeah. Who's going to make it out of this after, after this kind of wild multi-tier conflict that we've got going on well and i will tell you this would all be kind of a academic conversation if it weren't for the terrific performances that you got out of these people there's a lot of really solid performances in this film and who are able so. oh yeah I, and and i and with and without that i mean it would be a much more difficult story to tell Chase Cargill, who is uh, who plays, uh, in my opinion, he's the one character who uh, who appears certain in a certain way at the very beginning of the film and throughout a good portion of the film, and really he's involved in a lot of very key elements in the in the story and moving forward and his particular character's development, and that's in quotes, is really important to the film, and I really I really liked him. Mm -hmm. a lot it's just as an actor you know so go ahead i'm sorry yes he is a incredible actor and um he's one of my closest collaborators he was the first person attached to the project because outside of acting he's also a really strong storyteller and just great when it comes to overall analyzing screenplays chase is a part of a very renowned theater company in los angeles called the road theater company he was in a play i saw him in a play called death house with Sam Anderson. He was also there. Uh, Verity uh, Bronco, who's uh, she plays the military woman who's telling a, that sort of long story at the um, sort of group gathering in one of the scenes. She is kind of that longer story. So all three of them were in this play together that I saw and was absolutely blown away by the play itself, by each of their performances, but by Chase, who I've I've known for a little while by his performance was very, very deep, emotional. And I knew right then I was like, I really want to work with him on a, on a narrative film project. So he was one of the first people that um, I brought on and his character. I just, Kellen was one who uh, you meet him and he seems like one thing and he becomes sort of something else that kind of keeps going back and forth as we get to know as we get to know his character, he has a lot to keep in mind going throughout the film. And it's not the easiest right. job as an actor when you've got um, multiple different perceptions to kind of play in this. And he was the only character that we did this with where we would film some scenes differently, where we would play into the audience's perception in certain scenes and kind of amp that up a little bit. And then we come back in a different part and we'll be seeing that exact same moment in life and that story, we're seeing him say the exact same words. But now, since we have the different idea of his percept of, of who he is and a different perception on him, then we would give a different kind of look or view of how he is emotionally. And that's just something I've, I've never done. It really excited us, the idea of it on set. We didn't know if it would really work to kind of, I mean, you know, just kind of play the exact same scene in two different ways, just to kind of not necessarily trick the audience, but just to kind of guide their natural perception and how naturally they're going to put this person in this sort of box. He, he did incredibly. You know, he's very close with Sam Anderson. 
And he was the one who convinced him to come on board the project. So he was our first sort of bigger get as an accomplished accomplished actor. Because I saw them in that in that play, and I said to myself right then and there, I want to see them in a film playing father and son. I think they would be amazing. And so that's why I wrote this. You know, wrote Callan's father wrote a father for him in the in the story and had that be a major piece. Because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, God, I hope we can get Sam Anderson to play this role. Yeah. because they would be great together in this by the grace of god it all sort of worked out and sam did come on and and yeah i think they just have an incredible chemistry together as the sort of father and son i think it's really really believable really truthful and really unique and, and that scene that you're talking about is very important to the telling of the story in the film and that, that you're you're describing yeah very important part of it and really kind of uh, sort of a paradigm shift in the story in the storytelling and what are what we're what we think will happen moving forward for the minor listeners that we're talking with the director of the film echoes of violence that would be nicholas woods he's also the writer of the film i don't know this i should know this is it virtual or is it in, in attendance? it is yeah so it's virtual so the cool thing about virtual you know there are obviously people focus on the negatives of virtual because everyone wants to be in person for everything but the cool thing about virtual is now anyone can see just this particular film right. you know usually you have to buy a festival pass it's expensive you know and then you've got an array of, of things to do you can just pick up tickets to this film I'm sure there's a bunch of other cool films there uh, you can also check out, but that's really cool. And I'm enjoying that because usually we have to wait till we release, you know, the film, which can take months and months and months to kind of get it out there on all the various platforms. But now whoever is interested now can see it this weekend. So that's, yeah, that's fantastic. And you're right. I, I love, I haven't been to a whole lot of film festivals, but there's a sort of a logistical you know, considerations can you, because they're usually spread out over many different theaters and you've got to kind of time things and make sure you get there. Again, there's nothing like sitting in the theater with a bunch of people who are film aficionados. That's great. And they, the enthusiasm is awesome to be around, but there is also the practical side in the world we live in, which is I can see a lot more films in a film festival now uh, than I would Correct. have been able to otherwise. It sounds like there's distribution in the offing for um, Echoes of Violence. Uh, are you starting to learn the game? Starting to feel like you're finding your 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 way in this in this very tricky environment that we live in as a, for filmmakers? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's uh, it, you learn so much. You know, from each each project, even short films, you learn from one short film to the next, and then that's just going to be true of you know from first feature film to second feature film. Because there's a lot they don't teach you. I went to film school in Orange County um, at a Chapman uh, yeah. uh, film school, and uh, which I love. Just a great program. Great program. And they, but I'm sure this is true of almost every film school. They don't teach, they, you know, we spend a lot of time learning how to make a film. That's great. That's, that is what you need to know. But no one teaches you how to get a film going, how to raise money for a film, how to package a film to get it to get you actually on set and then once you've made the film they don't teach you anything about how do you sell the film how do you do publicity things like that so it was been very uh it's it, you know through the past couple of years and doing these two films those were complete new learning curves and the axiom my uh, first film a horror film was the ground zero for me learning all those things so I am very pleased to, you know, on this film, definitely felt more comfortable getting things going, packaging and all the, it's just all, a lot of seemingly boring things, but it's just stuff you have to do 
to get yourself on set to be doing the fun things. What I learned on this project, because surprisingly on this film, we actually did this film on a smaller budget than the Axiom, is in something that I really want to carry as I progress and as, you know, hopefully the, you know, budgets get bigger and the scale of the projects get bigger so that we can get it to wider audiences. The thing I really want to continue to employ that we did on this film was just the the act of intimacy on this project. We were a very small crew. We had cameraman, a focus puller, and a sound mixer, and that's it on almost everything. So a lot of it was just me and the actors, me and the the DP Stan Olson figuring out the shots and it just the creativity was just blasting out of all of our eyes and ears every moment and it was just all so focused on on the story on the characters on the intimacy of the moments and finding these moments between each of these characters and truly trying to find these just real relationships I truly believe you know because we weren't distracted with all this other all this other stuff you know all these other film toys or film necessarily guidelines, you know, I mean, we were doing a couple things very guerrilla style as well. And I mean, that just led to such, such realism in both our filmmaking act and hopefully what ends up being seen on screen. So I hope that just never gets lost because, you know, we took a lot from uh, uh, filmmakers that I, I, we are immensely inspired from uh, Alejandro Gonzalez and Inaratu and his DP Chivo and how they were doing The Revenant. I mean, they just said, we have a giant crew behind us and a million, millions of dollars, but all they wanted to do was get away from them and just be a couple team members with the camera and the actors and just be just them, you know what I mean? And it is just a fight of trying to stay intimate and always go back to those roots of just a couple people with a camera and some actors and really just making a film and not get lost in all the, the other crap. Yeah, yeah exactly. Tip of the chapeau, as they say, to uh, Stan Olson, your cinematographer. You do actually have a lot of locations in the film, but but shooting in a car is always a tough haul. I'm sure that's just mind-numbingly tedious in terms of getting all the different shots and the, the sound and all that right and on the road. So like true, that. Yeah. But uh, but it's but everything is authentic looking. Everything looks good, and he did a wonderful job. Yes, he is uh, one of my closest collaborators. He and I met at film school um, at Chapman. I've worked with him on every project since. I just keep waiting for the day where he says that he's either too big, too busy, or just says no. And it hasn't happened yet, but he is just incredible, has such an eye, and knows how to make, how, how to turn anything into a really beautiful image. And we shot a lot of natural light in this yeah. project because, yeah. you know, we don't necessarily have the budget for bigger lights, but we really didn't have the need for it either because we were doing so much exterior work. It's funny how much uh, natural light comes into play with scheduling. I mean, it's all about just making sure you're shooting in the beginning of the day, right around sunrise and in those few hours after sunrise and those few hours before sunset. And if you can do that and just kind of, you know, just stay away from the middle of the day outside uh your images will be you know just that much you know more clear more more beautiful the colors and the light will be more dynamic it, it became also a test of that and a test of wills because we shot a lot in arizona and arizona has a lot of sunlight sunset the sun rises at 4 30 in the morning and doesn't set until 7 p.m you know that doesn't really fit into a 12-hour film window so what we would have to do is wake up in the morning in the dark go out there be ready sunrise shoot for the few hours of beautiful early morning light and then around high noon which is high noon in Arizona is 
10 a.m., <laughs> we would leave and go back to the accommodations and, and try to rest. Of course, that was uh, very difficult for me to do because there's so much other things to plan for. But then we would uh, wake up in the afternoon and catch the afternoon light. And that is not a schedule that is good for the human body. But how many shooting right, days? How many shooting days? Did you have? We did 15 shooting days total. Well, which, hell, that's fast. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's really fast. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. We had, yeah. And that, that led to some interesting, you know, choices and creative uh, decisions that wow. had to be made because, you know, there's a lot of locations, there's no coming back. Right. So we're, when we're there, we got to get it natural light. Sun's going down. So that's, wow. I mean, that's just a, a constant battle. Yeah. We shot one scene that had, I want to say we needed like 15 shots and we had 40 minutes to do it. And there's, it's the scene by the pool. Oh yeah, you know, our actors sort of come into some uh, characters yeah. come into some conflict, uh, yeah. and there's a bit of some some gun uh, action and some different blood effects and things. It was going down quickly, and you know, it was going down to the point where it's going to be too dark, where we, yeah. you know, we might be able to see, but it's not going to look good on camera. You know, just there was just so many moments on set where we just had to shoot. We did have to shoot quickly, but the actors, I would talk to them after and be like, "So, do you hate me? Do you feel like we just totally screwed this up? Uh, you know, how do you feel?" And they're like, no, I loved it because, you know, there's like the adrenaline of the moment. I mean, it really felt, it felt a lot closer to real life because the stakes were so high for us. That's like, you know, I'm in the moment there and we, we just had to go. Amazing. They were so, uh, I, hats off to my, my, my team and my actors. Uh, they were just so in it and so on it that we were able to, you know, the footage and scenes looked so great despite our time constraints, because they were just always on it, always just knew exactly where their characters were and what they needed, what their characters were, were trying to accomplish in the scene. So even despite our time constraints, um, it didn't, uh, didn't affect the project. And that's because of them. And by the way, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking a lot about process here and lighting and cinematography. And at the end of the day, it's about the story. It's about storytelling. And on that level, this is a really good story. It's a really well, it's plotted well, it's paced well, and it, it has a lot of enough surprises, enough, there's a lot of tension in it. it it's, you did a wonderful job of telling the story in a way Thank that you. really keeps you engaged. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very impressed with, the, with this. Uh, the film is again called Echoes of Violence. And um, gosh, yeah, and, and these people that you work with, I mean, you, you mentioned Chase and some of the other people. You, you mentioned Stan Olson, your cinematographer. You know, that's one of the things I've noticed about a lot of filmmakers, not everyone, but a lot of filmmakers who are very successful, build up a kind of a core team around them of people that they can intuitive, they know intuitively will be able to give them what they're, what he need, what they need in a film. And I think that's a good path to take, you know, find people mm -hmm. that, especially a cinematographer, right? I mean, people Absolutely. like that are so key and so important and, and such a, at the end of the day, save you money by you not having to over explain everything you want from somebody new. Absolutely. And yeah, when you have that trust and that friendship, the second hand that kind of comes out, you're so right. It just makes the process that much more fun because you're not worried about your social sort of interactions. There's that, not that social bubble just that immediately goes away and you're just two collaborators right. with the same goal. You know, you can find that you don't need a five-year relationship with somebody. You don't need you know, that, that can be built right now. There's so many tools available online for people to find, uh, to find crew members who are like-minded 
and who have the same goals where say, you know, somebody who hasn't made a feature film yet who really wants to, well, you know, you need to find your DP who's never made a feature film because they're going to be down to do it at that level and at that pay scale. And that's how you, you know, you need everyone who's, whose goals are right around the same level and, and, and mindset as yours. And anything can happen after that. I mean, any, anyone can make it happen. You just got to reach out and find those people. Well, congratulations to you, uh, Nicholas Woods, uh, for this work called Echoes of Violence and uh, for amassing a terrific crew and cast. And I haven't even mentioned Frank Oz is in it, which is kind of out of the blue, <laughs> kind of a, kind of a like, what? What? <laughs> Frank Oz? Bring him up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say we hadn't talked about him, but he's got a very important role and it's, he's key and he's out of character for what we expect from Frank Oz too. So. That's what we want. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, well, congratulations on all of it, and congratulations on CineQuest. And it, so we talked a little earlier. It sounds like you've got a distribution ready to go on this film. And I hope you come back. I hope whenever that that happens, and you need to talk about a new project, I hope you come back and join us. I'm here anytime for you, Mike. So let me know. I would love to come back. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And and uh, I hope next time I see you, I want that hair down to your shoulders. So. <laughs> Hey, I Thank hope you. I hope it's soon. I Thank yeah, you. absolutely. I'd love to come back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, the film is called Echoes of Violence, and we've been talking to the director and writer of the film, and that would be Nicholas Woods. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 